We have a, a guest with us this morning, and I'm um, super excited to hear from him um, as we, we're in our second week of the Book of Acts, and um, so we'll be hearing a little bit about kind of the, the beginning of the work God did um, with the disciples and the, the apostles kind of building the church. Uh, Jordan Caro is here from Hope Church in Las Vegas. He's been a, a supporter and kind of a... Um, a real kind of shepherd for our church um, for the past year. Um, he's director of church planting. I think I got that right. <laughs> um, and uh, so Obed kind of struck up a, a relationship with him um, maybe a year ago and kind of began the process of ha- inviting them in to, to kind of be a support for our church. So uh, Jordan's here from Las Vegas, flew in last night flying out this afternoon. Um, blessed to have him here. Why don't you come up and I'll, I'll pray for you and, uh, and you can share the word with us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jordan as you've um, led him through this scripture. And I pray that you would open up our ears and our hearts to receive what you have for us today in your word. I pray that you would illuminate who you are in our minds and um, Lord, would you show us what it looks like for us to live on mission with you, Jesus. We thank you for your goodness. Bless Jordan as he, as he brings your word to us this morning. In your name, amen. Well, good morning, King's Cross. Good morning, King's Cross. All right. Well, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't, I don't know how to follow that up. I'm, I'm almost tempted to like pull an audible here and ask if I can grab like three of your cute kids to come up here and while, while I talk, because I don't, I don't know how, how this message is going to land otherwise. Um, you know, I've, I've known Obed and Elena for about a year and a half now. And to be honest, didn't really like them all that much at the beginning. But when I met their kids, I figured we had to, we had to be in some kind of a relationship um, with them. So what a, what a joy and a treat and an honor it is um, for me to be here with you this morning. Um, I, I've been able to meet a number of you already and, and kind of share a little bit of, of background here. But um, this place, I love this city. I love coming back here. I don't come here often enough, but it holds a very special place in, in my heart. Uh, for 10 years of my life, I loudly, proudly, and admittedly very arrogantly wore the uniform of a United States Marine, and I was uh, stationed just up the road in Camp Pendleton. And so my wife and I called this place home for, for about three years of, of that time. And um, so it, it's, it's, it's interesting. She she never fails to kind of let me know that sometimes old habits die hard in that. And, uh, and anytime that I'm, I'm kind of glad that she's maybe not here actually this morning, because, um, more often than not, when I'm, when I'm preaching or otherwise, uh, public speaking in some fashion, she, she never fails to let me know, uh, you know, that was, that was really great, but you should, you should probably tone it down just a little bit. And I say, I don't, what are you talking about? And she goes, no, 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 what, what you said was great, but would it kill you to put the knife hands away when you, when you, when you talk to people? Um, and so I, I gotta, I gotta remember to, to kind of, uh, pull that back. But, 
Um, it, is, it is a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Um, I, I won't be able to go into the, the full details of my story, but mine is one of uh, stepping away uh, off of active duty in the Marine Corps about 2011. I, I went into a business career. I had long time uh, been saved and grown up in the, in the church, and um, I was in a business career for a number of years. And we were back in our hometown of Florida. And mine is just a a story of being called to the city of Las Vegas where I had no relationships whatsoever. And frankly, I thought in my mind, the purpose of us going there was gonna be for the promotion that I had been offered with with the firm that I was with at that time. But it didn't take very long of being on the ground before really God just began to clamp down on my heart in a new and fresh way. And, uh, and I went through an intense several months of wrestling with God and losing sleep over it. And, and in my mind, what I thought was an eventual stepping into full-time ministry after the kids are grown up and moved out and after I hit my career objectives and after and after and after a bunch of other things, uh, the Lord really let me know that that was not his, his timing. So mine was a, a story of walking away from a, from a career um, that, was, that was pretty good to me and my, and my family and stepping into to full-time ministry. And so I, I work with Hope Church in Las Vegas now, and uh, I, I oversee the church planting kind of curriculum and platform. We have a, a bold vision we believe that God has placed on our heart to see the, the, the kingdom of God expanded, not just in our city, but throughout the Western United States and among the nations. And we, we recognize that we can't do that on our own. That will never happen through Hope Church alone, but that's gonna happen through multiplying the church and, and really getting behind other church planters wherever we can. And so uh, about a year and a half ago, Obed shows up to one of our, our training workshops. We struck up a relationship with him, and over the course of the last year or so, we have walked alongside Obed and Elena. We have uh, just lived open-handedly with our resources, with our training financially as well, because we believe in what God is doing here at King's Cross Church. And so it has just been a, a delight to be able to partner with him. And whether you know it or not, there is a church in Las Vegas I'll stop there because that's normally shocking to, to a bunch of people. Uh, but there is a church in Las Vegas that loves you, that is praying for you, that is constantly begging God on your behalf to see movement happen and for this church to, to be expanded. And so I just want you to know, if, I heard y'all watch some videos um, a, couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. And if you haven't already understood this to be true, please let me, let me reiterate it now. You are not alone. And there are churches and there are believers not even just here in Vegas, but up and down the West Coast that are praying on your behalf right now for what God is doing through here. So it has just been um, an incredible time. Let me, let me open us up with a, with a word of prayer and then, uh, and then we're gonna dig in for today. Heavenly Father, we, we approach you as, as we always should, humbly, God, but also expectantly, um, God, I love what was said here just a few minutes ago during worship in that we, our call is to worship you. And we do that by lifting our voices joyfully in song, but we also do that sacrificially through our giving. God, and we're gonna prepare to enter a time now of worship by going deep into your word, the word that you've left for us. And that word is rich and it's deep and it's wide and it's high and Lord, I just I pray right now that as we 
we go into your word, we do so with every bit of awe that it deserves. Lord, I, I, I ask you humbly to, to speak through me. Lord, your words, not mine. Your timeline and your agenda, not mine. And all of it, Father, for your glory, not mine. Lord, if there's anything that I, that I might say even today that is not your intention for this church, God, I pray that it would just bounce off of them. Lord, that it, it, would, it would go in one ear and out the other. Lord, and that every bit of your, your word that you want to speak uh, through me that I ask you to today, God, that it would, it would pierce hearts and that it would sink deep into the soil of our souls. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, if you would, turn with me to, to Acts chapter 1 or scroll with me to, to Acts chapter 1 or whatever, whatever method that you use. And uh, before we... Before we dig in into Acts chapter one, um, I love this study that you're doing, and um, I think it's I think it's incredible. Acts is one of my, if not my my, my favorite book um, of the Bible, and uh, and so I've been looking forward to this for some time. Well, uh, legendary Hollywood producer by the name of Sam Goldwyn. You may or may not recognize that name, but if you place his last name with Metro Goldwyn Mayer or MGM, you start to see this was a legendary Hollywood producer. And more often than not, Sam was attributed with having said that in order for a movie to be successful, it needed two things. He said, for a movie to be successful, it needs to begin with an earthquake and then it needs to work up to a climax. Now, what I can tell you is that as we read through the book of Acts, Luke, its, its author, does not exactly follow this uh, you know, movie-making magic when he, when he wrote this book. I think many of us have seen a movie like this. There's some kind of dramatic, big, explosive type of event that happens up front. And then for the next hour or two, there's kind of some puzzle piecing that happens along the way. And then it builds up to some final, in the end, aha, big, all connecting, it all comes together type of moment. And we don't necessarily see that that was the approach that, that Luke took when he, when he wrote this. Um, except for just a reiteration, which you talked about last week of Jesus's ascension, which is a reiteration of where he ended his gospel. There are a lot of the, the events that happen in, in the first chapter of Acts that don't really seem very dramatic. They don't really seem very earth shaking. Um, they don't really seem like anything that's of huge significance. Really what we're, what we're gonna read about today is what most people would call a business meeting which sounds super exciting, right? I, I flew all the way over here. I'm gonna to talk to you about a business meeting. Um, well, no, right? We would say that's probably not something that's very exciting. So I think it begs the question, why even write about it? Why did, why did Luke take the time to record and, and write down these seemingly mundane, not really all that dramatic type of events? Well, here, here's the answer. Before Luke ever knew that what he was writing in the book of Acts would become a linchpin, literally, for the New Testament, linking the Gospels, the life of Jesus, with the remaining epistles and the rest of the New Testament. Before he ever knew that that book of Acts was going to be a, a connection point, bringing those two together, Luke was simply seeking to build a bridge or a connection from his Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, 
to the book of Acts. This was a, a two-part letter. Maybe you all have already talked about that before, but he's writing this to a, a, a high-ranking official of some sorts named Theophilus, and he's telling his version of the story. And at the close of, of his gospel in Luke, we see that he's left the believers in the temple praising God. He's already kind of mentioned the ascension. He's leaving the the disciples in the temple, praising God. And now he needs to build a bridge and continue the story to what happened next. Think about it this way. Imagine if we didn't have this book and imagine if you're reading the New Testament and you get through the last pages of John and you turn that last page and then bam, Romans. This guy named Paul is writing to Christians in the city of Rome. It's probably gonna make you think to yourself, how in the, who is Paul? How in the world did the church even get to Rome? And what we find is that the answers to all of that is woven throughout the fabric of the book of Acts and the foundations can be traced back to some of these really seemingly routine events that happen in the back half of chapter one. So if we could put it up on the screen, if you don't have a copy of scripture, I'm gonna go ahead and read beginning in verse 12. I'm gonna be reading out of the ESV translation, but I also um, will reference a couple of others um, during our time today. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry, in this ministry. Now this man, speaking of Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness for his betrayal of Christ and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, gross, and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of songs, Psalms, may his camp become desolate, And let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So they put forward two: Joseph called Barsabbas, and also, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, you Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So there's a lot going on in this passage. I'll be blunt. 
right? We could probably have a series of about three or four different messages on what has happened in just these verses alone that we've read today. What we're looking at is the foundations now of the early church. We see Peter step up to take leadership, right? That's another topic right here. Peter has stepped up, he's taking leadership and he's saying, okay, hey, listen, we've read this. We know this. These are prophecies out of the Old Testament that had to be fulfilled. And then we move forward and he says, hey, you remember Judas? He's having a bad day right now, right? Because of his betrayal, there were consequences. And let's go ahead and lay that out for you. And then he says, well, now that Judas isn't here anymore, let's develop some criteria and let's put together a process for figuring out who's the next man up. How are we gonna fill that spot? It is very much, again, like what we're witnessing here is a business meeting, an ordinary business meeting of of believers together. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to camp out for today at the beginning of where we started reading to uncover a foundation that was set even before any of those things that I just said took place. Depending upon what translation of scripture you use for today, again, I'm, I'm reading right now out of the ESV and many of you, if you're reading out of a different translation, you'll see that, Commonly before a passage of scripture, there's a, there's a detailed heading or there's like a subject heading above it. Now, of course, those weren't there uh, for the original or when the original writers wrote this, those were later placed in to the text uh, by modern translators as a way of helping us to organize our thoughts and, and, and help us to kind of uh, piece together different themes in scripture. And so depending on what translation you're using, you might have something that it says similar to mine out of the ESV, which is the verse 12 is subjected as Matthias chosen to replace Judas or something about Matthias replaces Judas, something in there. Well, one particular translation, I know there are a couple, but one that I think does it a little bit differently and actually gets it right in this way would be the Christian Standard Bible or the CSB. And if you look in the CSB, you notice that it's not headed the same way, but actually what the the translators did there was they took verses 12 through 14 and they make it a separate initial paragraph and they put a heading on it. And in the CSB, it's titled United in Prayer. And that's where we're gonna spend our time for today. So let's just reread those verses right now. He said, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. I don't know about you, but I long for a fresh move of God in my life, in my city, in your city, in our region, our country, and the nations. I don't think it takes a very hard, deep look around us today to probably agree that we need that. Right? If, I, if I pulled the room, I don't know how many of you would, would raise your hand enthusiastically right now and say, you know, I, I kind of feel right now like the, the direction that our world is moving in is, is really good, right? We're really just kind of hitting a home run here. 
And, and I just feel great about the direction that we're going, right? What with our, with our racial tension and with our, our economic collapses and with our moral failures and with violence around us and with war that's being struck up one day after the next. And the, the disciples here, the beginning chapter or the beginning of Acts are actually in a very similar boat. Their leader, Jesus, who everyone was sure of, positive, Jesus was going to overthrow the government. He was going to restore Israel to prominence. This is what everybody had hoped for. This is what they were claiming out of, out of prophecy from the, from the Old Testament. And that didn't happen. And now Jesus is gone. And these believers, they look up and they look around and the religious climate, the social climate, the political climate, everywhere they look is slightly less than friendly toward them right now. And so these believers now look up and they say, we have been given this big mission to accomplish before Jesus ascended. And they likely have more questions than answers. And so what we're looking at right now is we're seeing a response of his people to that. And it's prayer. So I want us to dig in today to three things that I think we learn from the early church's prayer life that we can extract and learn from just even verses 12 through 14 today. And the first one is this, their prayer was urgent and it was desperate. Their prayer life was urgent and it was desperate. Verse 12 says, that they were near Jerusalem, but they were about a Sabbath day's journey away. Why is that significant? Well, a Sabbath day's journey was the equivalent of about a half a mile for us today. We say, oh, that's not, that's not really all that, that big. I don't, I don't understand a Sabbath day's journey. Well, according to the law, that was the maximum allowable distance that could be traveled on the Sabbath. Now, I can't prove this, but something tells me that the disciples didn't come off of the mountain and they weren't just making their way back, right? Peter, you wouldn't believe the way I left the house, right? Yesterday when we came up here on the mountain, I got a ton of dishes and laundry and it's just gonna be like a pain, right? For me, like I'm walking back like this. They were running, right? They left off of the mountain and they were running back into the city. Verse 12 says, a Sabbath day's journey away, they ran. Verse 13 it says, and when they had entered, meaning the city, Jerusalem, they went to the upper room. So at the very moment that they arrived back into the city, the first thing that they did was they ran to the upper room. And for what? Well, I, I'm positive, right? That at that very moment, they, they went to the upper room and they, they established a committee to plan how God would move in the city. No, that, that's, pro that's probably not it. No, they, they, they held a think tank, right? They assembled a think tank to talk about creative ways that they were gonna promote and market God's, God's movement in the city, right? With graphics and mailers and, and everything like that. No, that, that's probably not it. No, I, I think what they, what they did was they did a demographic study and they surveyed their community walking around to see, hey, who's open to a movement of God here, here in, the, in the city? No, absolutely not. They instinctively, and urgently went to the upper room to desperately beg God to move. It was their first response. It was not their last 
resort. Here's, here's a reality statement for you, to, for, for you to hang on today. And it's a, it's a principle that we've learned at Hope Church and something I've had to learn in my own life more times than I'd like to admit. Desperate people pray. Prideful people don't. Desperate people pray and prideful people don't. Why? Because if we're really honest, when do we tend to pray the most? It's when we recognize the depthness of our, or the depth of our, our desperation. That's when we typically tend to pray the most. And the disciples here recognized something from day one. We simply will not see a movement of God unless we pray or apart from prayer. Here's the, here's the second point that we can pull out of this text to today, right? We said that their prayer was desperate or urgent and desperate. And the second thing was their prayer was united on God's agenda. Their prayer was united on God's agenda. Where do we see that? Verse 14. All these with one accord. All these with one accord. All, you know what all means in the Greek? All, right? It means, it means all, right? The, to, the totality, the whole, everyone together, they were all there together. And one accord. Now, this one, I, I, won't, I won't do the same thing. In the Greek, right, this is actually a compound word that was used. When, when you see the word one accord here, it's a Greek compound word that was the combination of homos and thumos. Homos meaning of the same kind. Thumos referring to the mind or the will or a passion, right? So the disciples were all together with one shared mind, will, and heartbeat. I, I, I wanna stop for just a second. I wanna think about just how, how easily this could not have been the case. Just how easily disunity and backbiting and, and anything else that you can think of could have disrupted this fragile, new, very uh, uh, different group of 120 that were together. We had different uh, geographical uh, backgrounds. We had different uh, socioeconomic statuses that were represented in that room. We had different languages and dialects that were represented in that room. The, the text even lets us know we, we had men in the room, we had women in the room, we had apostles in the room, and we had ordinary believers in the room. We even had some of Jesus's earthly family. It says his mother and his siblings were there in the room. So let's just think about this for just a second. Jesus's earthly family, his siblings could have easily stood up and claimed some kind of, of right to authority or prominence or we're special in some way. I was his brother, I'm his mother, whatever it could be. Peter stands up to, to lead. Can you imagine how easily somebody's, you, you're the coward. You're the one who just denied him three times and you're gonna, you're gonna lead us? And then Peter looks back at the crowd and he says, well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on one second. Uh, look at John. John's the one who actually escorted him into the high priest's house for trial. He, he took him there. It can't just be me. John stands up over here and he goes, oh, hold on, hold on one second, guys. I didn't see any of you all faithfully standing at the cross when our Lord and Savior died. I was there. And he didn't just tell anybody to, he didn't just entrust the care of his mother to just anybody. He, he did that to me. And this could have gone on and on and on. But you know how much of it happened? 
none of it. None of that happened in this moment, which is crazy because we're really not all that far removed from, it was just a little over 40 days ago in this narrative that the disciples are in the presence of Jesus himself arguing over who's the greatest. So the fact that none of this happened, instead, they had a passion for God to move and together they had all wrapped their, their hearts in unity around it. How important is this, this idea of what we would call today, we would say corporate prayer together as a body of believers with one mind, one heartbeat and one passion? I think John Franklin puts it very well um, when he says this quote, he says, the greatest workings of God come by corporate prayer and we will not see the power of God in sufficient measure to transform the world around us until we pray together. God in his sovereignty has determined that there's just something that happens when we pray together that transcends praying separately. Their prayer was united, not just with one another, but it was united together on God's agenda, not their own preferences. So we've, we've gone through first two points and let's, let's go ahead and move into our, our third and final point that we can extract out of this. The early church's prayer was a continuous priority. It was a continuous priority. Verse 14 says, they were devoting themselves to prayer. If you, if you look at the New American Standard uh, translation of this, they actually take it even a step further and they say, they were continually devoting themselves. This word devote means to commit wholeheartedly or to give oneself over to. Literally, the Greek word that's used here in the text means to remain somewhere or with someone. We, we, can, we can recognize this picture probably in a lot of things in our, in our life today, right? An Olympic athlete devotes themselves to their craft. Nearly 14 years ago this year, I devoted myself for a lifelong commitment to one woman in my life, right? There's marriage. There, there are a bunch of different ways that we can see this devotion. And what we see here is that prayer was the regular necessary rhythm of life. And it was the foundational activity of choice amongst the early believers. It wasn't just a nice to have or a nice inclusion, What's really sad today is that unfortunately for way too many Christians, prayer is not the foundational necessary meat and potatoes of the relationship that, sh that they share with one another that this early church did. And instead, unfortunately, prayer kind of resembles a little bit more the, the national anthem before a football game. It kicks the game off but once the game starts, there's really no connection between the national anthem and what's going on on the field. It's just a nice formality. It's, it's just a box to be checked. And that's not what we see here. Continuously, over and over again, not this, well, we asked him, see him move. But literally there was this grabbing hold of the altar of God, grabbing hold of the throne and saying, we are standing here and we're not letting go until you move. It was a continuous priority. 
It was a regular, necessary, and continuous uh, activity in the life of the early church. And hear me when I say this, not because there's power in prayer. How do you, how do you say that? Of course there's power in prayer. Well, I would, I would actually submit to you, there's not power in prayer. There's power in the one to whom we pray, right? It's not the words, there's no formula, but they knew that there was power to be unleashed in the father and the one true living God of the universe that they were asking. They were so hungry for God that they cried out to him continuously for his activity. At, at Hope Church in, in Vegas, um, again, yes, there's a church in Vegas. Um, at, at Hope Church, we, we, didn't, we didn't coin this phrase. We didn't make it up, but we say it constantly. We say, we don't pray before we work. That's all too often what we, what we say right now. Let's, let's pray and then let's get to the work. We say, we don't pray before we work. Prayer is the work and then God works. There's work involved in prayer and we see that throughout the fabric of the early church's life. So let's, let's begin to, to, to land the plane here on, uh, on today's uh, discussion. In, in the Apostle Paul's first letter to his protege, Timothy, we see this is several years later now and he's still writing and he's urging the church to not forget these things. Let's, if we can put it up on the screen here. We see 1 Timothy 2.1 says, first of all then, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. And then you go a few verses down to verse eight. He says, I desire then that in every place, the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. These are two pleas that the apostle Paul is giving to the church. Don't forget this. It's a plea. I'm urging you to be urgent, to be desperate, to be united and focused on God's agenda and to pray without ceasing. Now, we don't have a, an opportunity to read it together right now, but verses two through seven in between that, sandwiched in between there, if you get a chance to look at it, is a 30,000 foot view of the movement of God happening in the world that happens at the prayers of God's people. And so he's urging us to continue in that unceasing form of prayer. Last thing, in verse eight, let's, you look at verse eight right there and it says, I desire then that in every place, the men should pray. This isn't the case in all of scripture. Um, you, can, you can look, comment, even, uh, even earlier in the passage that we read today in verse 16, uh, Peter says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. And, and actually that word in the Greek could mean brothers and sisters, right? And, and there are plenty of times in which you see brothers or men or man that's referring to humankind or it's referring to men and women. But that's not what this is. When you look at this, Paul says, I desire that in every place the men should pray. You know who he's talking to? The men. Why does he single out the men? And maybe it's, maybe it's the case that Paul recognized then, something that unfortunately seems to be the case today. I meet women all the time who have a hunger and a desperation to see God move. But where are the men? And here's what Paul is saying in this verse. He's saying that when the church really gets desperate, when the church really focuses on God's agenda, and when the church really makes prayer a priority, 
as much as the very air that we breathe. God moves among the men and the men begin to pray with intensity like never before. Let's be a people who pray. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I wanna, I wanna lead us in a, in a time of, of reflection right now. And for me, a, a verse that's, that's very common to, to probably some here in the room, and, and I continue to go back to it because it's so rich for me to help me in my time of reflection is Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And that verse, those two verses say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Three things that jump out out of those verses. Search me, try me, lead me. So right now where you're at, I would love for us to just take a, take a few moments without distraction and without any hurry if you're anything like me, your heart tends to be hurried and mine is constantly and I have to fight that. But just begin to ask yourself, do I really hunger for a move of God? Do I really hunger for a move of God? And if not, why? Could it be my pride? Could it be my selfishness? Could it be that maybe I have a, a small view of God and I don't really think that that's even possible? I want you to invite God's total honesty in your life right now and ask him. as you begin to invite God's total honesty into your life and his spirit begins to drum up maybe some things that are in you that are not like him. I want you to take a, a moment now and I want you to ask God to remove that from you. I want you to ask God to quite literally take, take his scalpel and begin to work on your heart because only he can do that.
finally, we've, we've already spent time, I know you spent time last week talking about this and it's carrying over in today, just this idea of God has a plan and God is moving in the world all around us. And he has very specifically said in his sovereignty, I can do it any way that I want. I can do anything, any way, and in any timing that I want. But in his sovereignty, he has said, you're the plan. And I'm the plan. We are the plan. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you've invited God to to search your heart. I pray that you've invited God's total honesty in your your life and and you've asked him to, to remove whatever it is that might be a barrier for you today. But finally, I want you to ask him, what is my role? What's my role in the plan? If you truly believe that you're discontent being a bystander in the mission of God from this day forward, then invite God's total leadership into your life right now. What is my role? What step, God, are you calling me to take today? Finally, as we uh, as we close out our time together today, I know that I know that a lot of um, what we talked about and this message out of God's Word today felt very uh, pointed toward believers and, and those who would say today, "I am in a relationship with God," and 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 I and I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we will have missed a monumental opportunity um, to not address that there may be some people in the room here today this is either your first time or you've come out of curiosity or at the invitation of somebody else and either you would say today I, I, don't, I don't know Jesus I, I wouldn't say that I walk with him or have a personal relationship with him or maybe even I thought I did at one point but just things fell by the wayside or I had a bad experience or I was rubbed the wrong way by the, by the church if that's you here today, I, I want you to know definitively, this isn't my only, this isn't my opinion, but this is truth out of the word of God that God desires that all would come into a right relationship with him. The Bible tells us through, throughout Romans that no one is righteous, not even one. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's perfect, holy standard. You've sinned, I've sinned. We've, we've all missed the mark in some way. And God says his, his perfect holy standard simply will not allow the presence of sin. So there's a barrier that's been created, a barrier that says, I, 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 I can't pull myself out of this on my own. I can't just be a good person and earn my way back into the, the, the favor of God 
by, by checking a box and, and doing some nice things for people. But there's, this, there's now this, this chasm that exists between the fact that I'm an imperfect human being trying to have a relationship with a perfect God. There's a wage that's involved there. And a wage is, is something that you earn for something that you've done. If I do a job, I earn a wage for it. And the Bible says that there's a wage for our sin and our imperfection. And that wage is death. Not just physical, but, but eternal spiritual separation. I can't, I can't jump the chasm. I can't get to God on my own. But God. But God are two of my favorite words in all of scripture because it's him intervening his character in a situation to come to our, to our rescue. And it says, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while not waiting for you to get cleaned up, not waiting until you could, you could, you could satisfy some, some, some rite of passage into his favor, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ paid a bill that you and I could never pay on our own. And he did it out of obedience to the Father and because he loves you. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he defeated death the father raised him out of the grave. And today he is seated at the right hand of the father and he lives in those who would say they've given their life to him. So what I would say is that if that's you today, please understand that the God of the universe wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want religion. He doesn't want you to, to, to meet just, just some check boxes of, of behavioral standards. He wants a loving relationship with you. And that can happen today. So if that's you, please just know I'm gonna, I'm gonna be here up at the front and, and any of these leaders that are, that are here from, with, with King's Cross would be more than happy to open up a Bible with you and walk you through what that looks like to surrender your heart to Christ and to stop striving in such a way that just seems so tough. I gotta do all these things to be a good person. No, Jesus says, I just need you to be with me. And any one of us would, would be willing to, would love to walk you through that. So Father, I, I thank you for today. I, I thank you for the men and women that are, that are here in this room. Lord, I thank you for what you have done through this church and what you are going to continue to do through this church. God, you are on the move throughout this community. And there are people all around us every day who don't know you, but you know them intimately. You know the number of every hair on their head and you're in pursuit of them and you want a loving relationship with them. And you have said, I'm gonna do that through my church. So Lord, I pray that every, everyone in this room would, would embrace the rescue mission. That everyone in this room would embrace a life of desperate, urgent, united and unceasing prayer that doesn't treat it as a formality, but treat, treats it as literally uh, a, a conversation, an ongoing conversation and an open door to the creator of the universe. 
Lord, we ask you to move in this place today. We love you and we pray this all in the name above all names, the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.